Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth about sin, scripture, and forgiveness. You don't have to apologize for the loving discipline of the scriptures. Now you know some of you have received consequences of your sinful lifestyle after being in Christ. You've made wrong decisions, you've walked away from God, and you have to live with them. And it almost destroyed you. You made it back. It's the model of Christ. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. How do you deal with sin in the life of a brother or sister? Do you tell others? And how about your pastor? Well, if you've been a Christian for some time, you've probably seen and or experienced the wrong way to deal with a fallen brother or sister. Well, today, Pastor Xavier tackles that very question with a true biblical perspective in mind. Let's join him for today's message, Reconciling a Sinning Brother. Matthew chapter 18, we want to concentrate this morning on verses 15 through 20. The method of reconciling a sinning brother, which is marked by humility and personal forgiveness. It is marked by three things that are given to us right here. First, the private recourse, verses 15 and 16. Secondly, the public recourse, verses 17 and 18. And lastly, the personal resource, verses 19 and 20. Let's look at the private recourse to restore a sinning brother, verses 15 and 16. First of all, the believer is to go to his brother or sister who has sinned against them. Notice the context. It's a spiritual brother or sister, one who is a believer, one who knows better, one who knows the Word of God, one who should be modeling the life of Christ, one who declares to know God but yet is walking in darkness. Notice the responsibility falls on the injured party. If someone sins against me, then I am responsible to go to them and say, you know, I want to talk to you about something, brother. You know, you, you may be even ignorant of it. I don't know. Maybe you're not even aware of it. But, and I could be completely wrong. And that's the attitude that we come in in humility. You don't come and say, you know, sit down. I got a few words to tell you, you jerk. Your Bible will get punched out in the mouth. Because it could be that I'm wrong even though I think I'm right. I may not have all the facts. So I go in that spirit of humility because I can be wrong, but if I'm pretty sure I'm right, I still go in humility because I want to provoke him or her to repentance. Very important. The purpose of confronting the sinning brother or sister is to forgive and to reconcile in fellowship. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. You see, it's never to make them feel bad. It's never for revenge. It's never to uh, punish them. It's always to reconcile them. Now, that's not always our motive, is it? James 5, 19 and 20 says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Cover, that means you don't tell anybody. That means it is between you and them. It goes nowhere else. 
That's the reason why the first step privately is me and you. And if you recognize your error and you say, you know, man, I am sorry. I was just, I didn't, under, I didn't know that. Can you forgive me? And that sin, that offense is buried, it's forgotten, and it's never mentioned. And reconciliation comes and it's buried, it's there. But often what happens, the first thing we do is we go to someone who says, you know what this guy did, what do you think about this? Then he knows. And then you told the biggest mouth in the church, and pretty soon everybody knows. And that's wrong. Go back to the source all the time. You will save yourself a lot of heartache and a lot of embarrassment. I don't want him to be humiliated. I don't want him to feel bad. I don't want him to be embarrassed. I want to build him up. Is that your motive in the church of Jesus Christ? It's the model of Christ. If you go by one and it doesn't work. Verse 16 says, Then the believer is to go with one or two if the brother refuses to hear. Now, if a person has rejected your confrontation, and you have approached them in love and humility, then the purpose that you go take a second or a third person is not to make this person feel bad again, but it's for the simple reason, first of all, is to have these individuals witness what is said so that nothing can be twisted or someone can be slandered. This is the principle based on Deuteronomy 19.15. Two or three witnesses. A person could not be accused, put to death or, uh, of a crime or anything else except two or three witnesses. Remember, they had a problem accusing Jesus because they couldn't agree. This is for the protection of the person and also the protection of the party who's bringing the accusation. It works on both sides. But there's a second purpose, and the ultimate purpose is to reconcile the brother through spiritual brethren. The two you pick are people who you know are spiritual and who are going to glorify God and they're going to be objective and they're going to use the scriptures as a guidelines. Paul the Apostle makes this very clear and he really nails it as he's dealing with the carnal Galatians. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, he says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is what? Love. Why do we pick spiritual people? Why do we go in the way we go with humility and love and compassion? Because you know what? You can be in the very same place next week. And then what are you going to do? How do you want to be confronted? It's got to be in love and it's got to be scripturally. It's important that we understand that. But that usually is not the case. That's the tragedy of the church. And they start devouring one another. And what happens is God's power and God's work ceases. From the private recourse, we go to the public recourse, verses 17 and 18. In verse 17, the believer is to go to the church if the person refuses the witness of the two or three. He refuses to hear the two apart from you. He has rejected your witness. He has rejected the witness of the other second person or, or and the third person together. And therefore now, the 
failure, the trespass, or the offense is being denied while the offense is still affected regarding the person's life. Notice he says that he is to be confronted by the church. The word church is ecclesia. It means the called out ones. Those who have responded to the calling of God's spirit to be taken from the world into the kingdom of his son. Those who have turned from their sin, they have grieved over their sin as seen as against God, have repented, have had contrition, have abandoned it, have made restitution, and are walking in the light. That is biblical repentance. Not just, oh man, I got busted, and you regret the consequence. No, that's not biblical repentance. The church here, some argue that it's a public assembly. That after you fail in your first, second, and third witness, then that person should be brought before the congregation. I, I disagree with that. I don't think this is what it's meant. First of all, the word church only appears two times in Matthew in any gospel. It is in chapter 16 where he gave the confession, Peter, and then the second time here. The disciples had no idea what the church was all about as of yet. But secondly, to bring a person before the congregation after only two or three witnesses could be devastating both for the person and for the church body. Let me give you my reasoning. We first handle this with the elders. If you go by one, then you go by two and three, and that fails, then we're into the public recourse. Then you come to one of the elders, says, you know, I, I did this, and now you, you, you give just the briefest information necessary, and, and we need to confront it. Okay, fine. So we set up a meeting to call the individual in if they desire to come. We can't force anybody. They come of their own free will. And if they do, then it is you and possibly the two witnesses that went with you, but not necessarily. And then the elders, whether it be two or three elders. And then we look at the matter, we discuss the matter, and we confront the individual, if such is the case. Hopefully, the individual will recognize his error and repent. And if so, then love covers a multitude of sins. Now, you're the only one that knows. The two witnesses are the only one that knows. And only the two or three elders. And it's buried there. And if it gets out, it's got to be one of the five or six. Okay? Which is a protection. Because if it does get out, you've got least amount of people that you go confront. You don't have to worry about who said it. You're limited down to three, four, five people. It's great protection. Great accountability. We do this for the protection and the benefit of the sinning party. Regarding the offense, sometimes it's not so critical. Sometimes it is very critical. If it is remedied and reconciled with the elders as the representatives of the church, then that individual can continue to fellowship without feeling every time he or she walks in that everybody is looking at them. It is for their benefit. And secondly, it's the benefit of keeping some of you from stumbling. Because some of you would get blown away. Some of you would rally up in your committee and in your parties to try to divide the church. 
It happens. And so our perspective is the benefit of the sinning brother and the welfare of the body, the church. That is our motive behind it, which is the motive of love. And it goes along with Scripture. Now, if the individual fails to recognize his fault again before the church, then the believer is to be put out of the church and treated as a non-believer. Here he says, as a heathen and a tax collector. You know the background between tax collectors. Nobody wanted to do anything to them because they were the lousiest ripoffs. Things haven't changed, had they? And they were mercenaries. They, they sold their, their right for money and, and everything else, especially if they were Jewish, like Matthew was a tax collector, and he was ripping off his own people. They bid it for the job, and whoever could bid the best bid got it, and whatever they, get, they got, as long as they met their quota for the government, they could pocket the rest, so they ripped off a lot of people. This is the parallel. It's not only the action is significant, but the person that he's putting on a parallel, a heathen, a tax collector, is very significant. Because you're to treat him as one who is ripping off the body of Jesus Christ. Did you ever see that? He's ripping off the body of Jesus Christ. He's ripping off glory from God because he's refusing to recognize his own heir and to be reconciled. And he's hindering the body because his part is so necessary in the body of Jesus Christ. They're part of the body. And the body will lack. You remember the individual that Paul, the apostle, wrote to the Corinthians about him. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 1 through 5, this young man was sleeping with his stepmother. And Paul the Apostle says, you know, you guys are puffed up and you guys think you're spiritual. This kind of sexual sin is not even mentioned among the Gentiles. And this guy's sleeping with his stepmother. He says, and you guys think you're spiritual and here you're embracing this man. You're bringing him about. And, and Paul says, um, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul says, get him out of there. Why? Because little leaven leavens a whole lump. If you read on down the chapter, he speaks about that. One bad apple spoils a whole bunch. Because that individual will continue to live his lifestyle as if the scriptures are not the authority, and as if there is no authority within the church. And what happens, that becomes a catalyst for more sin within the body. But let me call your attention to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. He says, And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Paul the Apostle tells the Corinthians, you know, uh, I, I did not write to you to tell you not to have company with fornicators. But I told you that if the fornicator is a brother, then don't have company with him. You see, you can tolerate certain things from non-believers as you're there as a witness, no matter what lifestyle they live, because you're witnessing to them. But not a brother. If my neighbor is living with his uh, girlfriend, then... I try to be a witness. I don't compromise with him. If you tell me, hey, what do you think, man? Pretty good babe, huh? I say, yeah, man. Wish I was you. <laughs> no, I take that opportunity. I say, yeah, wow, that's neat, John. You know what, man? You guys ever think about getting married? Oh, no. 
Well, you know, let me share what happened in my life, you know. Let me share what the Bible says. Let me share this. And I draw him. But if you're my brother and sister and you live next to me and you've got a babe living with you, <laughs> I want to rebuke you. I'd be almost prone to be like Nehemiah. If, if I find you here again, I'm going to lay hands on you. <laughs> because you're a brother and sister. That changes everything. So I hope you understand the difference. Okay? The purpose, again, is that they may reflect and repent to be restored. Always that's the purpose and the end. And secondly, that they may feel the full weight of their sin. Kick them out. Give them over to the lifestyle that even their own consequences would come upon them. Now you know, some of you have received consequences of your sinful lifestyle after being in Christ. You've made wrong decisions. You've walked away from God and you have to live with them. And it almost killed you. It almost destroyed you. You made it back. We are to kick people out so that they receive the full weight of their sin and that if necessary, even if it's necessary, that they would end up dying physically, but in turn, they would turn back to God. Now, the world doesn't call that love. Oh, and you guys call yourself Christians? You better believe it. You don't have to apologize for the loving discipline of the Scriptures. The church, as a representative of Christ on earth, has the authority prescribed by Scripture. Verse 18 says that. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Binding and loosing means allowing and disallowing. We've already covered that in chapter 16, verse 19. It doesn't give you some authority to bring things to pass because of the confession of your mouth, as some of the guys are saying today. It's not what it's talking about. It's completely out of context here. The boundaries are the scriptures. You remember Acts 15, the first church council? They didn't know what to do with the Gentiles. They wanted to bring them under the law of, of Moses. And they said, listen, God has showed us through James, Peter, and all these guys that God has, has saved the Gentiles just like you and us, by grace. And if they keep themselves from blood, from strangled things, and from fornication, they do well. And outside of that, hey, leave them alone. They don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to keep sacrifice. Leave them alone. What was the boundary of allowing and disallowing, binding and loosing? The scriptures. The scriptures. The binding and loosing is allowing and disallowing. It's not some formula for you to say something. God has to do it. That's out of context. But people don't teach you that. And so here we have the public recourse. It's more severe than the private recourse. But necessary. The Lord finishes up with the personal resource, verses 19 and 20. He says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that you ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now, notice the personal resource here is not for personal gain, verse 19. It's always given to you out of context. What is the context? Answer me. Church discipline, reconciliation. This has nothing to do with your selfish wishes for your gain in prayer. It's out of context. The context is for church discipline. 
and a sinning brother to be reconciled. The boundaries are the scriptures. Whatever we agree upon based on the scriptures, God honors that. And God agrees with that only because we agree with the scriptures. It is not a place for personal discipline, for personal opinion, a personal method. It's the scriptures that speak. And nothing but the scriptures. The reference to agree is to coming in accord, and the word agree speaks about being in harmony like musical instruments. We say, yes, this is the problem. This is the situation. This is what the brother, well, the scripture says this. What do you think? Well, no, over here. Okay, yeah, we're in, that's right. That's what we have to do because the scriptures. We're in agreement with the scriptures say. Then in verse 20, the resource is for the glory of Jesus. Again, the context. Listen. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. My name. Very important. Now, we think that that's a formula to get prayer answered. And we rattle off and we say, oh, by the way, in Jesus' name. As if God says, oh, oh now I got to give it to you. <laughs> Remember, the context is not prayer. But the context is prayer for church discipline. That's the context. When he says in my name, he speaks of his character. I am asking it in the compassion of Christ. I am asking it in the humility of Christ. I am asking it in the love of Christ for reconciliation. And I am seeking the Lord for the wisdom, for the discretion, for the guidance to deal with this church discipline matter. Now, in John 14, 15, 16, Jesus does speak about asking anything in his name. But what's the context? His disciples and what's the condition of the disciple? That you deny yourself, lose sight of yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. And if you're following that, then I have no doubt that your petitions will be according to the nature and the character of Christ for others, not for yourself. Not for a Cadillac, not for a Rolls Royce, everything else. When it says in my name, it speaks in the way Jesus would ask it and the motive and the purpose behind it. We've gotten so far away from knowing the scriptures today that he may receive the glory, not us. And the one thing that should motivate us is the power of his love marked by humility and forgiveness. Once this matter is taken care of, it's dropped, it's buried like your sins. Don't bring it up. It's gone. The method of reconciling a sinning brother. So basic, so simple, so powerful, so effective. And we make it so complicated. Why? Because we don't have the brother in mind. We have me in mind. I don't have the glory of God in mind. I have my own glory in mind. I don't have the object of bearing the sin, but I have the object of exposing the sin. And therefore, it shows me that I'm neither humble nor have I learned the lesson of forgiveness for my life. Awesome. And so, when these situations arise in your life and mine, hopefully we'll resort to the private recourse, if not, then to the public recourse, and then we never forget the personal resource. 
It is for the glory of Jesus Christ. It is for His name and no one else. Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth behind reconciliation. And if you'd like a copy of today's encouraging study from the Gospel of Matthew called Reconciling a Sinning Brother, it's available, as always, on CD for just $4. And this message will contain what Pastor Xavier shared last time as well. So the title to ask for once again is Reconciling a Sinning Brother. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Is traditional marriage really that important? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com